Welcome back, everyone, to the Stockout. I'm back. It's me. I'm here. We're working on getting Mike on right now. But, of course, welcome back to the FreightWave show, where we set aside time during the week to discuss the consumer packaged goods space, retail, and all the fun things there is. Uh, surprise, I'm back. I've been gone for, what, probably three episodes now? Two or three episodes. But, uh Happy to be back. Happy to be back to work. Happy, of course, to have spent some time meeting some of the future guests that we're going to have on the show. That's going to be some really fun stuff for us, too. Uh, so, of course, have, let me center myself a little bit here. Uh, now that we're back in the office and everything back set up, of course, happy again to be here and, and jump into things. But, uh, you know, first, I, I want to kind of go over some of the, the great things I've been able to to experience over the last couple of weeks as we uh, work on, of course, bringing Mike up here too. So uh, first things first is, uh, of course, I got a chance to attend a wonderful conference in Vegas, and they got a really great chance to be a part of a number of panels at that event as well. Uh, one in particular, uh, which I'm hoping to make a, a series. We're going to plan on getting some of these guests on the show, but we went over interesting things, including subscription models, which we're starting to see uh, uh, quite frequent, frequently here in retail in particular, and uh, I think even in, in looking to see if maybe some uh, CPG companies expand to it as well. Uh, really interesting panel working on actually, uh, there's three different guests on there. There was uh, one who helped package uh, some subscription model um, uh, businesses for companies like Disney and, and other big uh, name brands like that as well. Another who actually put on a subscription model conference. And another uh, a woman who works at a, a company that makes, uh, the best way to explain it is it makes a product that can track a lot of your your heart heartbeats, your your monitoring your heart, and uh, of course, kind of like the Apple Watch in particular, but something that you put in your bed that would also monitor your sleep as well. And how they use subscription models or are looking to actually implement a subscription model to add to their uh, value uh, for their customers too. So different ways of looking at how to to add that to your your product mix. And which was interesting is all three guests. One in particular we're going to have on in a couple weeks, hopefully, is. Uh, is less of when and, and how you can implement a subscription model and more of a conversation of you should be already considering it, if not already implementing one in your business today, which I think can go across a lot of different businesses, but we'll we'll stick to that too. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see if we, I, I don't see Mike yet, but uh, I, I, can, I can hear the crew back there. Okay, cool. Uh, also, uh, a big part of this event, too, was a nice uh, chat and visibility, looking into, of course, how uh, not only looking into visibility as, of course, of where is my shipment today, but more so the proactiveness of going through customs. As we see e-commerce continue to build, a big issue, of course, on top of that is uh, can customs keep up with the, the expansion of e-commerce and the growth of that across our borders, too, and how companies are using visibility products or more of how customs is using visibility products uh, in order to, uh, of course, catch those who are not following uh, the, the right uh, guidelines when it comes to vendors and, and who we're using to bring products into the United States as well. That one was very interesting because uh, we got some uh, chat and some uh, uh, 
some outlooks from those that uh, done in uh, DMB and a number of different areas, uh, companies in particular that help uh, CPG and retail companies uh, make those decisions with their vendors and make their supply chain not so much resilient but predictive and uh, able to to uh, switch at any moment in time. And the election that we're seeing today, of course, it's interesting because <laughs> uh, I, there could be a possibility where we're looking again at tariffs uh, in certain areas, kind of going back to that 2008. I want to say late 18, early 19 uh, 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 problems that we saw a lot of, of companies, especially I'd say even more so those in uh, raw materials uh, struggle with when it came to uh, different tariff regulations and having to consider who your vendors are as well. So uh, those are a couple of topics that I got a chance to talk about in, in Vegas in a couple of panels. Happy to do that. And we're going to bring a couple of those panels here to the Staka over the next couple of weeks as well. So uh, watch out for those. And of course, for everyone watching, make sure they are part of our newsletter too. Head to FreightWaves.com, click on the Staka at the top of the page, and you can add that as well. Now, uh, on top of that too, now that we're on the agenda of things to make sure that you do as a Staka uh, community member, Make sure as well that our, and check out any of our latest newsletters and our newsletter coming out this week too to get a discount code for our next event that's actually going to be in Atlanta in June from June 4th to the 5th. Of course, uh, happy to see the future supply chain taking place in one of my favorite cities. Uh, we have last time had this event in Cleveland that went really, really well and had a really great um, uh, outcome and guests that uh, were able to go to that. I've uh, heard uh, snippets of uh, some of our guests that will be at this event, and I'm not going to drop those names yet, but trust me, you're going to want to go. So why not get your tickets early? Check out our discount code in our newsletter uh, and make sure that you guys are signing up for that event too. I'm excited to see you all there. Now, I will say as well, one other thing I want to touch on, and this is kind of just a fun retail story before we get into some some more fun, interesting retail news. Uh, and that is, of course, <clears throat> sorry, uh, sore throat here. One thing I will say, I, I was at Hawaii the last couple of weeks, and that's where the story is going. And I, I, was, I noticed that uh, the cold weather back in Michigan is is not uh, doing so well for me. So uh, keep up with me if I, I got a little cough going on. That's what that's from. But yeah, I was in Hawaii the last couple of weeks. And I want to give a quick shout out to an interesting retail company that did not know existed at all whatsoever uh, until a couple of weeks ago. And, and I'll say this up front, they took a good a good couple hundred dollars of my money over the last couple weeks. And, and that's a, a company called ABC Stores. Now, if, if anyone has ever been to Hawaii, you might have seen these in Las Vegas. There's a few of them there. But in Hawaii in particular, I like to call them almost the 7-Elevens of Hawaii. Uh, if anyone has gone there, uh, especially talking about the main island, uh, or, sorry, Oahu, Honolulu, Waikiki Beach, uh <laughs> these stores are absolutely everywhere and they have anything that you can possibly think of, whether you're going for groceries, whether you need a conditioner, whether you are uh, need new makeup, whether you're getting, um, of course, uh, any knickknacks or uh, items for your family you want to take back home, uh, whether you're looking for Hawaiian-grown macadamia nuts or you're just looking for a candy bar. 
Uh, and even, even so, some like fun Japanese candies as well. Well, these stores have literally quite everything in them and they're absolutely everywhere. Uh, absolutely everywhere. But 1.5 square radius of Waikiki Beach itself has over 34 of these stores alone. Uh, they basically like place them strategically, uh, throughout the number of, uh, you could call them like beach locations or resorts. Uh, on my street alone that I was on, there was three or four of them. Easy to get to, in and out. They've got this really interesting rewards program, as we talk about, right? Rewards, seeing more of those programs within some of our favorite retailers. They've got this rewards program where if you spend over $300, you start to get like uh, souvenirs and stuff like that. And you, you go into them thinking, whoa, am I going to spend $300 here? Yeah, you are. You're probably going to spend more, double that uh, at that store over time, especially if you're trying to save on on food and eat sandwiches and, and kind of stick to more uh, munchings instead of going out every single night. You're going to quite easily spend that money there. So I want to give him a shout out. I thought I was like just walking around the whole city, just completely flabbergasted about the you could say monopoly that the, these stores have. They, uh, like I said, 34 stores alone within a 1.5 square radius, kind of like downtown Honolulu area. Um, and, and spread out from there, I think they have over uh, 73 stores. 58 of them are in Hawaii alone. They have some in Las Vegas, Guam, etc. They have over $230 million in sales every year and about 1,500 people employed. Happiest employees I've ever seen, too. So uh, a shout out to those stores because they are just completely taking over. It's funny. Uh, people have actually called them uh, on this island alcohol beverage control stores, ABC stores, because they've done this absolutely incredible job of taking um, the liquor laws there and the amount of space that needs to be between each uh, liquor store. And they've plotted themselves perfectly so that basically no other liquor store can exist within the radius of their stores alone. So in a way, they have created kind of this monopoly that's kind of fascinating to see that other other people call ABC are all blocks covered because they literally are everywhere you can think of. They started in 1930s. It's, it's kind of like a pharmacy store, it sounds like. And then as tourism grew, uh, they took advantage of that, placed themselves in strategic areas and are now basically ruling over this this whole area. And uh, again, if you've ever seen them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was considering wearing my ABC store shirt on this episode just to kind of put that into play, but uh, shout out to them. Uh, it's an incredible, again, business model. It's a family owned uh, business and they've just continued to grow and grow and grow as tourism has grown. Uh, another thing I kind of learned at Hawaii, which was easy to feel and tell around the city, is they have very low crime because they understand the importance of tourism to their to their overall economy. So it's just the the friendliness of it all is I will say I a little bit of island fever. You know, this is my first kind of like a, a tropical vacation and uh, love Hawaii but could not live there full time. I'll say that for sure. 
Uh, it's kind of, you kind of get this feeling of like being out in the middle of literally nowhere at some point in time. Uh, so I couldn't be there for longer than a week like I was, but I will say it was just incredible kind of learning about uh, the islands, how they worked. Again, seeing this incredible retailer uh, growing in that space and kind of taking over like the tourist market, you could say, and offering such a, a positive offering where it's I mean, quite, quite literally, I, I hate to say it, it feels like an, an incredible monopoly that's been able to strive and, and stay alive for this long. So uh, shout out to them and excited to, again, to continue to see them, to, to see them grow. And if I ever get back there, you know, uh, let's see if they can get past the 78 stores or just the 34 stars alone that they put in. I, I don't think there's physically enough room between the liquor licenses for them to plot themselves any more strategically than they already have. And then uh, what looks like uh, Mike, unfortunately, probably won't be making this episode. I haven't seen him so far. So we're going to dive into some of the big areas that we want to talk about today. And one in particular uh, is an interesting article that came out, more of an interview uh, on CNBC between a number of very large companies, including uh, skims, which by the way, working on getting their supply chain companies on this show, Neiman Marcus, a bunch of smaller retails, Taylor's Figs, uh, Sam's Club, which is not small at all, Under Armour, uh, and Walmart, a number of different leaders just to talk about overall uh, where retail seems to be going. And so as I've been gone, a lot of these are areas that we've I've talked about uh, in this show and a point of sale too. So happy to dive into a lot of these uh, in particular. First one that we're going to touch on here, of course, is uh, these more small, efficient in-person uh, stores that they can also use as fulfillment centers. Now, I think this is a outcome or maybe a strategy that's come out of the pandemic that people have seen and and realized that, okay, this is actually a really good way for us to continue to grow and consider in our overall fulfillment uh, strategies. Uh, I remember specifically reading about Target really focused on this, making sure that their stores were not only right perfect stores for the person that wants to shop in store and, and have a great experience, but able to fulfill any other type of buying model that's available out there, including uh, online, right? Being able to p- uh, uh, online, fulfill an online order through delivery at a local store, but also uh, give uh, consumers the ability to pick up that online order at their stores. Uh, you also have to consider right, the Instacarts and these different uh, apps as well. So being able to have, again, everything that will likely be needed or asked of by consumers, that inventory in every uh, location is is. Uh, a, b- a big winner and uh, Walmart as well is working on this too. I think uh, especially as we start to kind of watch populations and see where uh, people are settling their families, making sure that they, we are using some of these larger super centers as a way to uh, take advantage of maybe uh, delivering and providing better experiences to a more, more of a suburban families as well. And I think we have Mike in here now. Uh, let's see here. Um, Mike, back with us. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what's happening. I, I My computer worked great on Friday. Uh, it, it closed <laughs> business. And then first thing Monday, it's not working. I don't have the right permissions or the right setup. So I, I'm not sure. But uh, we'll make do. 
Yeah, well, I hey, that's how that's how President's Day goes. You know, I just never know uh, when it comes to tech. Uh, happy to to hear your voice and happy to have you back on. Uh, since you know, clearly it's been I think three episodes since I've been here. Uh, uh, tell can you tell me a little bit about uh, some of the the guests and stuff that we talked about over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so I think uh, sort of going forward, we have some some good ones uh, scheduled. I mean, the one from Sunset Transportation. I'm going to talk about how um, you know shippers should be positioning themselves uh, with this a, you know potential change in the the freight markets coming later this year. I mean, some debate about you know when exactly it's going to happen, um, but it seems like that'll um, you know it happens at least eventually. You know, either sooner or later. Um, you know, talked a lot of last couple of weeks about. You know some of the changes in commodity costs, where we've had pretty significant, you know, decrease in the the cost of some of these the sort of basic commodities. You sort of think of the, the most visible ones like corn and wheat, um, but then at the same time, some of the the commodities that are grown elsewhere, uh, like you know cocoa and sugar, some of the difficult growing conditions around the world have really increased the price of those commodities. So for the other CPG companies that use a variety of those. Uh, input measures, um, they're sort of seeing mixed things on costs, and so there's not quite the same, you know, cut to um, your CPG prices as maybe people might think. So it's so been a lot of time, you know, talking about that. Well, we just started going over some of these retail themes, and uh, we, we're discussing uh, more about the fulfillment centers and using some of these stores as uh, fulfillment centers as well. Uh, and we're just about to dive into the fact that they're looking for uh, just overall store experiences, too. Do you want to touch on a little bit of what you pulled from the CNBC interview slash article? Yeah, so yeah, so I thought it was a really good article. I mean, it was, so the, the the one thing that stood out from my weekend reading, I'm like, well, this was a really well done article because they they talked to so many people um, who are executives in the in the retail space, and so I I think this this um, theme of using the retail store as a mini distribution center or a fulfillment center, I think that's an important theme, and it gets to this, you know, can you really have the supply chain integrated properly in order to do that. So it really is truly a multi-channel um, you know, experience, omni-channel experience where you're using this very same inventory where someone comes into the store versus online versus pickup. Those aren't you know, separate things in order to really have efficiency. You need to, you need to do that. Um, and what sort of stood out is that none of the um, you know, executives thought that the retail stores are really going away. I mean, they, maybe they need to be more smaller footprint, more more deliberate. Maybe they need to be in better locations. Um, maybe they really need to use the, the square foot, um, you know, more effectively. But it's really that consumers like to do the, the, the research online and come in to make sure they're actually buying the right thing. Or if they buy it online, it's easier to return it, um, you know, in the store than to go through the hassle of taking the UPS or post office or something. So it it it's, it, you know, when you have the the stores as a as a fulfillment center, it enhances how quickly you know the products can get to the end consumer because Amazon has made the expectation of the consumer that they can get something in some cases two days, in some cases you know same day within a couple of hours, and so it's really a big advantage that that Walmart has uh, is that there are just so many stores that most of the populations within a few miles of a of, of a Walmart, so they're the ones that's really going to be able to compete effectively um, 
you know, on, on, on the service, but, you know, those, those companies that have more stores, you know, going to, going to be able to, to, to do that too. And then it does bring up this question of, okay, what's the right, you know, level of inventory. You need more inventory if these stores are essentially just, you know, just distribution centers because it causes just more redundancy there, which is, is possible. And then if you look at that, then it's like, well, you, you combine that with the, the, the inventory to sales ratio, which already seems low then it seems like there's going to be more demand coming for freight transportation. Well, another point that was brought up too, and uh, within the article was a lot of the the technology that we're seeing some of these uh, retailers use specifically AI and forecast demand. And I think wrapping that point to this one, uh, being able to forecast and have a better idea of, for instance, if I'm searching online for a certain object and it's it's clear that I'm I'm likely want to purchase this or maybe I'm going to go in store and buy it, you know, being able to to watch those trends and predict what your consumers are likely going to want to purchase over the week or the next week and moving that inventory particularly uh, as well or having certain offerings or maybe influencers in particular going um, uh, showcasing your brand and knowing okay because of this. Uh, influence we're likely going to see an uptick in this particular product so moving that right into these certain maybe regions or stores earlier uh to um take care of that that inventory need so i think it's funny a lot of the points that were brought up in the article kind of come full circle even including the stores as kind of an experience i mean something like Target, right? Like where you know you're going to probably pick up Starbucks and you're going to, you know, spend some time walking around. You know what you're probably going to buy because you looked it up online beforehand. Uh, or maybe you've even purchased something online to pick up, but you're also going to shop around and kind of uh, go through the store um, and, and enjoy that overall experience that Target gives, I think pays off over time too. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's that's why... Like GameStop is a dying business model. I mean, set aside all the the meme stuff, yeah. stock stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a dying business. I mean, and that's just because it's just you can buy the products elsewhere. It's more convenient to do buy them online. And why would you go to a store? Because it's like a completely miserable experience. If it was like super fun, then there'd be a reason to to go in. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're seeing that more. We're seeing pop-up shops more too from online brands like Adidas does this quite frequently. Then they're doing certain drops. Uh, we brought up Skims. Skims does that too. Uh, there's a, a number of companies that I think are, are figuring out, okay, let's see how we can strategically use the store, even outside of just inventory, but like in this like influencer, you know, kind of Instagram way where people are coming here and purchasing our new line of items as an experience uh, that comes with that item and, and less of uh, just a, a uh, one-stop uh, transaction. Uh, we've got, it looks like, right about three minutes here. I figured I'd uh, give you some time as well to uh, maybe give us a sonar update. Can, do you, it uh, looks like uh, looking into intermodal traffic uh, this week. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting things to pull from intermodal traffic currently. And one of the things that really stands out to me is when you compare the intermodal data that we have, which we call our O-Rail data, when you compare that to the, the AAR data, uh, what's, what's really clear that's not, that's not apparent from the AAR data is that it's really being driven by the, the, the international intermodal volume. So the overall AAR data 
you know, up about 8%, but you know, when you break that up, um, you know, 8% year to date, you know, for break that between domestic and international, I have domestic up a little over 1%, I have international up 16.7%. So it's really being driven by a lot of the imports that are coming in. You look at that CSTEU um, import uh, uh, volume, so that's, that's con- uh, mar- maritime import containers come passing through um, U.S. Customs, that's up about you know, 8%. And then when you look at the forward-looking, um, you know, data series for ocean, um, you know, import, you know, bookings, uh, you know, look at that, that's up like 35% year over year. Now, it is against a really easy comp, but the ordering um, of, of capacity, uh, you know, so, so capacity bookings on the ocean is really more, much more in line this year uh, with 2021 and 2022 levels, so well above the, sort of the depressed levels last year, and it really looked sort of sort of in, in line with those more uh, robust years, right up, up until um, you know Chinese New Year, and so you know all that sort of translates to improved uh, you know freight demand, uh, particularly on the international intermodal side, um, but some of that finds its way into the domestic intermodal you know market as well. I mean, r- right at the moment, the, um, the, the rail service levels. You know, seem pretty strong, um, but we'll see if, if anything changes with the activist pressure on, on Norfolk Southern, um, one of the Eastern you know, Class One U.S. railroads. You know, think there is um, you know sufficient capacity uh, now um, in, on the inter- intermodal side. In addition to the to the, to the truckload side, um, you're seeing some of the the, the rates you know come down pretty substantially. Our, our um, index for uh, intermodal contract rates is is down about 10 percent. Um, year over year, uh, year, year to date. Um, yeah, no, uh, interesting stuff. It looks right out of time here really quick, but, uh, for everyone out there, thank you for checking out the episode. Uh, we'll have a lot more to go over, uh, in this next week as well. Make sure that you are signed up for our newsletter though. Head to freightways.com. Click on newsletters at the top of the screen. Click on the stock out. Join that community. And then, of course, watch out for our newsletter where you guys can, of course, get our discount code for our next Freightways conference that's happening in Atlanta from June 4th to the 5th. Other than that, enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next week. 